0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand as our campuses join us in the Fox Valley and Stevens Point. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. And again, good morning to our Fox Valley campus and Stevens Point campus. And all of those of you who are still watching us at home online and people who watch us all over the world on the internet, good to have you with us. Uh, we're going to pause just briefly to take our offering, which has been done virtually <laughs> since all this pandemic stuff has been going on. Most of you have signed up online for recurrent giving. A lot of you still haven't. It would really be a great encouragement to all of us if you would do that. Uh, The amount is up to you. But at least you go on and you say, okay, we're going to automatically give this much every month or every week or however you want to do it. Uh, You can sign up for that uh, on our uh, app uh, on your phone or at our website, celebrationchurch.tv and uh, and help in that way. The rest of you who refuse to do that (laughs) can put money in the offering buckets on the way out from our campuses, or you can give online. One of the uh, ways that we do it is uh, with the uh, text to give. And the way you text to give is you send, you can pull your phones out right now if you'd like to do that. This is how we take our offering. You send a text to this number, 77977. Okay? And then in the message part, you put CCWI and the amount. You have to do it exactly That way. I keep having conversations with people. Some on the front row, I won't mention any names, but her initials are Anna. Last week, why <clears throat> didn't put that? I think you need it. You have to do it exactly that way, or it won't. Computers don't care what you meant, you know? It's like you talk to your husband, your wife, you don't say, well, you know what I meant, all right? Computers don't care. They don't care what you meant, what you intended, or felt any other way. You have to be extremely specific. So, CCWI. And then the dollar amount, I know that would be $10,000, and then send, <laughs> and that's how you can partake in our uh, offering, uh, praise the Lord. All right, <clears throat> this morning is what we, are, what we refer to in the Christian calendar as simply the second day after Christmas, the next Sunday we move on from Christmas, but uh, the reason for that about 1,500 years ago, Christians started, not only were they by then celebrating Christmas, they started celebrating what is known as the 12 days of Christmas. I think you're all familiar with the song. And the way that worked is on Christmas Day was the first day of Christmas. And then they would celebrate the second day of Christmas, third day of Christmas and stuff. And I guess they kept this going for 12 days. Man, uh, would know, that be expensive? <laughs> but it's bad enough with the one. But uh, they would do this. And then, uh, and then the church would continue celebrating Christmas for the two Sundays after Christmas that are incorporated in that 12 days. Most Christians today do not celebrate the 12 days of Christmas, but the liturgical calendar still gives a nod to that. So we're going to wrap this up this morning. We're going to look at the wise men, which we haven't really discussed in great detail yet. This is recorded in Matthew, the second chapter, starting verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him." Now, the context here: a lot of they don't really know who these guys were. We know they're from the east. There were some called them wise men; some called them astronomers. Although it's doubtful if they were astronomers in the sense that we think of astronomers, and say, "Well, they were stargazers." Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and I'll explain that in a minute because the star they're following, I don't think was like a star that we consider a star today. You have to remember, this is, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. And, and for thousands of years, uh, if they see something glowing in the sky, it was a star to them. They didn't understand light years. As far as they knew, you got to wonder how many ladders would it take to get up there and touch one of those things? You know, they don't know how far that is. There's no sense of this. So they see something bright in the sky and they call it A star, this particular star that they're following is really specific, which I'll show you in just a minute, and which will prove to you it was not a star in the sense that we think of it. Uh, I saw a thing back on December 21st when some planets were lining up, were extra bright, and they said, ah, this is what we believe. It was probably the Christmas. I love it when scientists try to explain our faith to us. Who knows what they come up with, but... We don't really need your help. Thank you very much. But uh, it wasn't planets aligning. And so this little glowing bug is extremely specific. I don't know what it was. An angel, who knows? You'll see in just a minute how specific this thing is. Anyway, they see this. And they come into town just assuming everybody knows what's going on. They come in and says, "Uh, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star. They all know it, but none of them know it. They're not paying attention. How could they know this was going on? Well, to understand this, you have to back up a little bit and go back to the time of Daniel. We all remember Daniel in the lion's den, that whole deal. Um, Give you some context. This is all really fascinating, so stick with me here. If the parts go flying quick, study on your own, you'll figure it out. But uh, what happens is the children of Israel, the, the, the nation of Israel, has been acting horribly for centuries. And God keeps sending them prophets, warning them, if you don't stop it, and I'm, I mean, they are offering their children to be burned alive in fires to demigods and stuff like that. These weren't people who just had an anger issue. All right? They are really bad. Okay? They are doing horrible things, and God said, you've got to stop it. And he, he said, if you don't stop it, I'm going to bring a hammer and, and, and really smash this place. And as most people, they don't listen. So it goes on for centuries, and finally God has had it up to here. And he sends uh, armies in to crush all of Israel. Everything is destroyed. The majority of people actually are killed. It's horrifying when you read the account. But then there is what is called a remnant of people that are taken off into captivity. This is the Babylonian Empire. What they would do is they'd go and conquered everything. And what they do is they come into a place and they would pick what they thought were the cream of the crop of the different people... That they would capture and they would bring them in and try to incorporate them, give them Babylonian names and, and and all this different thing and get them involved in their culture and language and everything to help build this kingdom made up of all these peoples all over the face of the earth. At that time, these were the Babylonians, and this is what happens to Israel and they get swept away in this Babylonian captivity. And among this group of highly, they look for the most talented, best looking, healthiest, intelligent people they could find, and they would keep them, take them into B- Babylon. And among them was Daniel. And he was highly intelligent. He was in this cream of the crop people. And, and they did this with everybody, right? It didn't matter what nation. You came in, and they basically make Babylonians out of you. And they did this to Daniel and all these uh, people who had been taken captive into Babylon. All right. So um, this is where we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. The, the fiery furnace. That wasn't their actual Jewish names. They give their names. I can't remember what it is. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the names that they gave them because they want them to become Babylonians in the Babylonian language and customs and stuff like that. And it got among them again now is Daniel. I forget what his Babylonian name They called him something. It's not really relevant to our, our discussion this morning. But uh, so these are highly, I mean, they're placed in really high places. They're super educated. They're very talented. In fact, Daniel was so talented and insightful, people were jealous of him. No shock there, right? We still have this nonsense in junior high school, for heaven's sakes. You know, someone who's cooler than everybody else. Nobody likes them because they're so ultra cool. Well, adults even have this stupidity, and they had this thousands of years ago. Uh, Daniel is part of this really successful group. They're jealous, so they frame Daniel, okay, and get him in trouble with the king, and then the king takes him and throws him into a lion's den. Are you following me? This is Daniel in the lions. Then they throw him into the lions. Then, but the lions don't eat them, and the king is so, eat them, and, and the king is so amazed, they pull him back out, and and they make everything right. And then they took the guys who framed him and threw them into the lions. Then, and this time the kitties were very hungry, and and they ate these people who tried to do this to him. So anyway, so this is Daniel. Now Daniel is like a super prophet. To a level of degree that is quite stunning, even to this day. His prophecies were, and most people don't even remember them. All they remember is the three guys thrown in the fiery furnace and the the lion's den. But Daniel was a prophet, and he prophesied at a level of detail that is mind-boggling. Now, a lot of these prophets, they would prophesy specifically about Israel or about a group of people and stuff. And you read it, and it doesn't even ring true or or, or clear because you don't even know what they're talking about, all these different nations. But Daniel, when he prophesies, is extremely specific about world powers that would come to place. So at the height of, oh, no way. They gave me a new microphone to say, it won't do it. And now it's doing it. I must have a crackle gene in me. I don't know what that is. Nobody can find it. Anyway, so Daniel prophesies, this is the height of the Babylonian empire. Nobody knows what's coming next, but Daniel sees it. And he says, the next ones are going to come to power are the Medes. And then the ones after them, they're going to be the Greek. And the ones after them are going to be the Romans. And sure enough, you had the Medes and Persians. You had the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. It is so specific that skeptics today don't believe it was written when it was written. They think, no, what really happened is after all the stuff had happened, somebody went back and put that stuff in there. so that, And it's in the Bible today. But it's because they can't believe it. Because if they believe it, then they need to believe. And they don't want to believe, so they... You know, look, you could have a supernatural encounter this morning and an angel could appear to you and tell you specifically who's going to be the winner of the game this afternoon, which, of course, is the Packers. And, uh, uh, and tell you exactly what the score is going to be at every quarter and who's going to make the final winning points and everything. And you're going to write this all down and it could happen exactly. And someone will come along and explain why that was impossible. And, it, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if you had a vision, it was pizza last night, you know, or who knows whatever. They come up with it. So there's always skeptics that always try to explain these things away. So people, modern day people who read Daniel's, there's no way he could have known that. They think someone wrote it, but that's not what happened. It was written at the time. And sure enough, this all happens. Now, remember, Daniel is not, you know, some Puerto Rican pastor from Green Bay. (laughs) Daniel is a yo mama, high level person in the Babylonian empire. He is a major, major player. And he's writing these things and he writes all these scrolls. Of course, in Babylon is in the East. And undoubtedly, for centuries, these people who studied these scrolls, wise men, magi, whatever, were undoubtedly studying Daniel. And were probably amazed as they were coming along. And sure enough, the Medes and Persians did come to power. And sure enough, the Greeks did come to power. And at that time, the romans that were ruling the world they were reading this stuff they said this guy this is amazing but then he has some other prophecies that are stunning again in detail that daniel actually was visited by an angel guess what his name was gabriel does that sound familiar because gabriel's the one who shows up to john the of baptist's parents and to the virgin mary well that wasn't the first time we read about gabriel we read about gabriel back in daniel and Gabriel shows up and he starts to tell them, because they're wondering, what's happened to our nation? What's our future self? So this, you can read it in Daniel again. <laughs> they use wording, that gets really confusing. But basically, Gabriel shows up and tells them when the Messiah is coming. And he uses this terminology of sevens, groups of seven years. And he says, there are going to be seventy sevens, which is 490 years. Uh, that before the final kingdom comes and the Messiah is, is uh, enthroned forever. But short of that, there's going to be one group of sevens uh, that is going to be delayed. And actually, the Messiah's going to show up uh, at the end of the 69 groups of sevens, which is, what's the number? 438 years or whatever. Uh, 40, 34 years. 83, thank you. think. <laughs> I speak professionally for a living. And I don't teach math. Anyway, so uh, so seven years shy of this. And it says the anointed one will come. The Messiah, right? That's pretty stinking specific. And he says specifically that the anointed one would be killed. Not for his own sins, but for the sins of others. Who does this sound like? Pretty stinking specific. So these, and, and all the Jews, they had all these writings, but you know... There is no one so blind as he who will not see. And it's so specific that Jews today, they go out of their way to dismiss the book of Daniel. They don't consider him a prophet. Why? Because if they acknowledge he's a prophet, they're in a bad place. Because the math says Jesus showed up about 2,000 years ago. They didn't accept him as a Messiah, so uh, they, they explained it all the way. But Daniel is extremely specific. So these guys from the east are reading all these scrolls. And they're doing the math. They are, unlike myself, highly intelligent human beings who can do math. And they look at it and they say, well, this, this Messiah, this king of, of Israel must be coming now. And then they see this glowing thing in the sky. That's why when they show up, they say, Hey guys, we're here. Where's the one who was born king of the Jews? And they're shocked that no one has a clue because they've been following this stuff for 400 and what was the number? <laughs> 83 years. <laughs> and they, they know exactly. That's why they come in. Where, where's the one born? You know, Daniel knew about all the stuff, he knew about the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. He says, the guy's going. <laughs> come to town. We saw his star. When we saw this glowing thing, that's got to be the sign of the Messiah. Are you following me, class? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Just don't follow my math. Okay. So they come to town. And he has all this stuff. So now when King Herod, we'll pick it up at verse three now. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Israel with him. So the whole city knows these guys come. I don't think it was just three wise men and a couple of camels. I think it was a caravan of guys loaded to the gills with cash and value that they came to worship this king. That's what these people did when they went to kingdoms. It was not, when these wise men showed up and I've already told you several times this Christmas when they left, this family is set. All right. Frankincense, myrrh was very valuable and gold for sure. It was extremely valuable. It wasn't a gold Rolex. This is like yo mama chunks of gold. They were set for life. This family was taken care of. God's provision for this family that is taking care of Jesus. So anyway, they come in and it's a big deal and they're asking, Where, where's, where's, where's the king? And they're all hearing and it's freaking them out. And it's really freaking out Herod because nobody was more paranoid in those days than the king because these kings were routinely overthrown. Oftentimes by members of their own family, they would be stabbed, killed, poisoned. I mean, they got really creative in the way they'd knock the guy off and the next guy would take power and then someone would knock him off and this is, you know, here we vote. Then they killed you, all right? So this is how the power changed. So he hears it about this king. He's freaked out. All of Jerusalem's freaked out because he's talking about about this Messiah. And then he called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they went, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have no idea what... No, they knew exactly they were totally aware of it. Oh, in Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. For that is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew exactly where he was coming from. They had to have known the time frame, and they didn't care. They were too busy to be bothered with the whole situation. This is horrifying to me. You mean after all these centuries of waiting for this promised Messiah, you guys know the time frame, you know where it's coming. These guys show up saying they were following this glowing thing, whatever. Uh, let's go see him and nobody bothers to go see him. They knew. They knew it. Uh, and uh, you know, this is a danger to us. It, you can get so busy being busy that you forget to be kind to people. You forget to put God first. If God is a secondary thought or third thought or you know, who knows where down the list to you, that's a bad place for you, and we just get so caught up in life that we forget about things. Jesus told a parable of the good Samaritan. You guys remember this? Uh, he says in Luke the tenth chapter, uh, he says a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, this is a priest, comes uh, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he just he he passed. Uh, you know, I'd love to help, but I, church is starting in five minutes and I got to get over here. And Next one. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> 32. So two, a Levite, very religious man comes to the same place. Same deal. He, you know, he had to get to a Bible study. I mean, there's, you can get so caught up in life and the Bible warns us about this. Don't get so caught up in life that you forget what's really important. And we're all guilty of this at some point, sometimes with our families, you know, you know, I do a lot of work for the military and, you know, I've done stuff for, uh, uh, special forces groups and I've done stuff for, you know, police or firemen and stuff. These are what we call the heroes of our day, right? These, they sacrifice everything, but it's amazing how they forget to take, bring it home. High rates of divorce. High, I was just talking to one a week and a half ago guy's sacrifice, does all this thing. If, if, if some stranger's on fire, you'll risk your life to go in there, but he won't spend time with his own kids. Wife wasn't happy about it. It's strange. Just, ah, there's something wrong with this, if you haven't noticed. But even the strangest situations, when you should know better, we're so busy focusing on other things, we forget what's really important. Anyway, let's continue the story here. Uh, Matthew, this verse 7. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Everything was recorded. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, well, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know because I want to go worship him too, which he didn't want to do that at all. He wanted to kill him. Well, after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose, suddenly it rises. There it is again. And it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. That is one stinking specific star. All right. When you're following a glowing bug and all of a sudden it lands over somebody's house, this must be the place. All right. So again, what it was was an angel. I don't know. I wasn't there despite my advanced age. I wasn't there. But it was so specific. And all they know is something glowing in the sky. And they called it a star. And it's very specific. And who knows, but they're the only ones who saw it. Nobody else seemed to react to it. They're follow- Oh, there it is again. And they follow it, and it stops over this house. And it says, when they saw the star, uh, they were overjoyed. And verse 11, on coming to the house, wait a minute. Wasn't it a manger? Weren't they in a manger? Yes, Jesus was born in a manger, but the wise men don't show up for a year to two years later, however long it took to start following the glowing thing all the way from the east to come to Israel by now they've worked out the situation nobody wants to stay in a barn it was a pressured situation because of the birth and they finally had a house by this time they come to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary they bowed down worship him they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh all this jack and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Hey, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where, the, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. By the way, this same thing skeptics have today. There are so many specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled they don't believe any of it. They think what happened is after Jesus died, a bunch of guys who wrote the gospels, quite the conspiracy that they all got organized that much without Facebook, and went and added all these events later. Well, yeah, then they went to Egypt and, and then he went to Nazareth. Went, all, all the fulfill these, they're not mad, they have to catch a flight. <laughs> or she's really, really mad. That's, that's, it's a 50-50 shot at this point. That's my wife, if you're curious what, what that's about. Uh, he's Bye, Tayden. <laughs> Off they go. Uh, what am I talking about? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Do I, oh, so uh, there's so many prophecies that specific, they think they added them later because if that really happened, it would be virtually impossible for him not to be the Messiah, Right. So that's, that's how they blow, they blow this stuff off. And they, ah, they change it later and they come up with all these theories. The reality is there are such specific prophecies surrounding the life of Jesus how anyone could say this was not the Messiah is only out of complete willingness not to believe. Anyway, so, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he is ticked. He is seriously ticked and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. My guess, it says in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. My guess is this is about a year later. Jesus is probably about a year old, and just to cover his bases, he added an extra year in case they were off. So they send in these soldiers, and they massacre all these baby boys around uh, Bethlehem and, and the entire surrounding area. And then what was said through the prophet of Jeremiah was fulfilled, of a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. Again, another prophecy of all this crying that went on because there were no more. Anyway, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared into a, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But, then after he, but when he heard that Archeles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod. He didn't want to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he he withdrew to the district of Galilee where Jesus came from, right? And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled through the prophets again, another prophecy, that he would be called a Nazarene. And that's why we refer to Jesus of Nazareth, even though he was born in Bethlehem. And that's how he wound up in Nazareth. By the way, I told you, his prophecy was very specific, those 69 uh, groups of seven. There's one more group of seven, left to happen. So what happens there is there's this time called the time of the Gentiles, which is what we are living in. And biblically, nobody knows how long this lasts. Nobody drew, I promise you, the apostles, nobody thought we'd be here 2,000 years later. It might go another 2,000, I have no idea. But at some point, this will come to an end, and then you read the last book of the Bible that talks about the final tribulation, which lasts for guess how long? Seven years, the final seven will come. And that's when all this ends. Because all that prophecy is about when the end, again, he said, but when you get to 69, the anointed one will be killed for the sins of others. The time of the Gentiles will set. And then the final seven would come. But just nobody knew the time frame. Obviously we get more of a clear view of it now. I don't know when this last seven, actually it's a little short of seven. Uh, The Bible says they shortened it. God had to shorten it. There'd be nothing left. Because it's going to get really bad. You think COVID's a problem. Wait till this thing hits. This is going to make this look like a walk in the park. It's going to be horrible. And I hope I'm long dead and in heaven <laughs> before and even <of> it happens. <laughs> but there will be one final seven. And it's going to be brutal. When finally God says, okay, enough is enough. And it'll all stop. And then uh, eternity kicks in. So fascinating stuff. Anyway, the point of all today's rambling, number one. God has a pretty good idea of what's going on, all right? He could see it way before it happened. He knows what's happening. He knows what's happening here. He knows what's happening in your life. You might feel confused about what's happening. And I certainly, at times, this last year certainly, have felt totally confused. We're now in a new year. I'm still a little confused. I'm not sure why, where all this is going. But God has it under control. He knows. You know, it wasn't like the day after the election he went, Oh, myself, I never thought he'd win. You know, it's, it's, he knows all this stuff. Everything is figured out ahead of time. God has control. Number two, don't get so busy with your life. And we all got to deal with our lives, right? We got to pay bills and deal with kids and not strangle your husband and all this stuff. But don't get, amen, she says. But <laughs> pray for her. But uh, um, all of this, God, no, as busy as we get, don't get so busy that you forget about what's really important, your friends, your family, and most importantly, God should come first in your life. And anyway, at some point, this all comes to an end. Uh, As the prophet prophesied, he would be killed for not his own sins, but for the sins of others. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion, which is what we're going to do right now. Jesus, on the night before he died, uh, sat with his disciples, had his last supper. And at some point, he took the bread, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Uh, And then he passed the wine. And he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. What we celebrate, what we've been singing about this morning, why we're even in here, is all about this glorious event when the Son of God, God himself, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And through that, we can have forgiveness of sins. And that's what we celebrate when we take communion. Now, the scriptures tell us Before we take communion, we should reflect on on where we're at with God. So I want everybody to bow their heads as I pray. I want to pray just a general prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Uh, And if if you've been struggling in areas, you know, now's a good time to maybe talk it through with God. Uh, And let's pray. Let me pray for all of you. Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way thought, word or deed something we've done something that we should have done and didn't do if we haven't loved you with our whole heart if we haven't loved others as ourselves whatever our situation Lord we ask you to forgive us make it right we pray for the sake of your beloved son Jesus who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins have mercy on us and forgive us of our sins and as your hands are bowed and or in an attitude of prayer, maybe for you this morning, you think, you know, I've, I've never really asked Jesus in my life. Why don't you do that right now? Just ask Jesus to come into your life and ask him to forgive you of all your sins. Well, there's a lot. Well, there's not more than he can handle. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. And, ask him, and, and, and come, ask him to come into your heart, into your life, and you can start your walk of faith with him. It is quite transforming and very powerful and brings many, many blessings. Amen.